morning. If you'd please take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to 2 Kings chapter 13. 2 Kings chapter 13. How many of you could name one thing about a guy named Haziel? One thing about a guy named Haziel. Oh, it's a, I, I thought, boy, I better not do too much review today, but I guess I have to do lots of review. We've heard of Haziel. Elijah, what's one thing you know about Haziel? He was anointed by Elisha. Very good. He was anointed by Elisha for what? Anybody know? Nobody remembers? Brother Ray? To be the next king of Syria. Very good. Anything else that we know about Haziel? Well, today we find him again. In 2 Kings chapter 13, he pops up. And we see him in history. It's fascinating some things we can learn about this king. If we look here on our timeline... The events or the, t- the spectrum of Haziel really ranges from the time here near the end of Elijah's ministry. So is this going to move? Bear with me just a moment. My computer has frozen. It's, it's not you, it's me. Well, maybe we will just have to do with this timeline and we'll use a pointer. You see Elijah up here. It was in Elijah's ministry that God told him that he was supposed to anoint Haziel to be the next king of Syria. It didn't happen right away, but it happened somewhere in the time of Elisha, right around this time here. And Haziel, king of Syria, who's not on this timeline, he continues, and so he's first mentioned here as needing to be anointed, and he continues all the way, this guy's name here is Joash, which is, by the way, the same as this king's name, so don't confuse the two, Joash of Judah and Joash of Israel and continues all the way to the end of Elisha's reign. And it's still not working. Um, Nathaniel, could you take this and do a force restart for me if you could? So that's where we're at here. Elijah all the way through the end of Elisha, and it's during the reign of Joash. So we're here, and we have come to 2 Kings chapter 13. 2 Kings 13. And it tells us here that it was in the 3 and 20th year of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, king of Judah, Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, began to reign over Israel in Samaria. So we saw that on our timeline, a new king. So down in the southern kingdom, we have these different kings, and in the northern kingdom, we have different kings coming to power. And here we have now a new king, a new king. Well, he comes after Jehu. And Jehu, remember, we don't know a lot about him, but he's the guy who was actually fighting against Haziel. And he came back to the capital city, and when he came back to the capital city, it was for the goal and purpose of assassinating his king. And that's exactly what he did. And he usurped the throne. He became king at that time over Israel. And if you look here, it tells us that... Jehoahaz, he reigned 17 years. And you see it says in verse 2, he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. He departed not there from. Does anybody remember Jeroboam, the son of Nebat? What was his sin? What did he do that caused Israel to sin? Does anybody remember that? Besides Elijah? I wanted to show you a picture and see if you knew. Virgil? 
or Hannah? You're right. He set up golden calves in Bethel and Dan, and he told the nation of Israel, these be the gods. This is Jehovah. Golden idols, golden calves, graven images. He said was their God. He said not only was their God, he said they were Jehovah. Well, that sin has continued to plague Israel over the years, over and over and over. And for just a short time, Omri and Ahab, they went and forsook these gods, and they went and served Baal, which wasn't much different, really. But this one here at least had the name of Jehovah, which again, a lesson in all times. Just because something or someone is called God or something is called Christianity doesn't mean it's genuine. Beware of that. These golden calves were called Jehovah by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. And now, all this time later, it has come. He set it up right at the early time of his reign, and it's still going on in the time of Jehoahaz. It was part of Jehu's reign. It was part of Joram. Joram was part of Ahab and Ahaziah. They worshiped Baal. But then he decided, okay, he'd worship Baal and the golden calves. And he led the nation in this. And Jehu led the nation in this. And now Jehoahaz does too. And it tells us in verse 3 that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he delivered them into the hand of Haziel, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Haziel, all their days. All his days. Those, how many years did it say? 17 years? But it wasn't just 17 years. How do I know? Well, we need to do a summary of Haziel. Who wants to be Haziel this morning? Anybody want to play Haziel for me this morning? Nobody wants to play Haziel? He's a king. Some of you know too much about Haziel, don't you? Well, my normal guy for playing Haziel is running late this morning, so I need a fill-in. Nobody wants to fill-in? I'm going to have to pick somebody. Matt. I pick Matt. You're going to be King Haziel. You are great. You are the king of Syria. You're going to put on your robe. Put your hands on in there. It'll mess up your hair. Don't worry about it. We're putting a crown on it. Yes. There we go. Doesn't he look sharp? King Haziel, your majesty. I told you we're messing up your hair. Here he is. Now, we're going to review his history, and we're going to see his relationship with these kings. But we're also going to see his relationship with God. Look here. What did it say? It said that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he delivered them into the hand of Haziel, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Haziel, all their days. Well, we need to do a little bit of review here regarding this guy. And it goes way back here on our timeline to the end of the time of Elijah, right about there. And so take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? 1 Kings 19. And you remember that Elijah had to run away from Ahab and Jezebel because Jezebel said that by this time tomorrow... God do so more to me also if Elijah the of Tishbite is not dead. Elijah had to run for his life. He run, ran, 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 ran far south all the way till he came to Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, the mountain of God way in the south. And it was at this time that God gave him an instruction. Look at this instruction. 
in 1 Kings chapter 19. He said to him in verse 15, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. Damascus is the capital of Syria. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshai, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shepheth of Abel-Malah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. So he's got some anointing to do, right? Elijah is supposed to anoint him to be king of Syria. Currently, he's not king. He's actually a commander in the army of Syria. But he's supposed to appoint him to be king. And he's supposed to appoint Jehu to be king of Israel. Remember, this is all back here. Well, notice Jehu's a different color than the green. What's that mean? Anybody know? What's that mean? It's a different family. It's a different dynasty. See, the green is all one family. New dynasty. Jehu actually was general to the house of Omri. He was a general. He was a military commander. But God has now commanded Elijah at this point in history, where the yellow bar is, to go anoint him to be king of Israel. God's anointing two guys to who are going to assassinate their rulers, their kings. And he's also supposed to anoint Elisha to be a prophet in his stead. Now listen to the next part of this prophecy. And it shall come to pass, 1 Kings 19, verse 17, God says to Elijah, And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. These men are going to bring justice to the kingdom. And God's going to use a foreign king to do it. He's going to use a wicked king to do it. And he's going to use a prophet of God to do it. And he reminds Elijah, who's very discouraged and feels all alone, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed into Baal, and every mouth of which has not kissed him. You're not alone, Elijah. Go back. You have a job. Well, he goes back, and he does anoint Elisha to be prophet in his stead. There is no record of Elijah ever anointing Jehu or Haziel. But we meet Haziel again, don't we? When Haziel's king, Ben-Hadad, was sick, Elisha came to Damascus, the capital city, and Ben-Hadad sent his most trusted man to go ask of him, shall I recover of this disease? And so you, Haziel, went to Elisha, you asked. And do you remember what Elisha said? He indeed shall surely recover of this disease. Well, the very next day, do you know what he does? He takes a wet cloth and he puts it over the face of his king and he murders his king. He murdered his king. He assassinated him. And then he made himself to be king. And on that day, Elisha had anointed him to be king. He told him he would be king. And here begins the first step of something that Elisha warned of. How many of you remember when Elisha made Ben-Haziel king? What did Elisha do after he had told him, you'll be king? Does anybody remember? William, what did he do? He wept. Oh, we need to go look at that again because that is very important to all of this survey of Haziel. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 8. 2 Kings chapter 8. And if you look here with me, it tells us here that the man of God, after he had anointed him to be the next king, he wept, and it disturbed Haziel. And Haziel asked Elisha and said in verse 12, 2 Kings 8, 12, Why weepest my Lord? Why do you weep, Elisha? And listen to what Elisha said. Because I know 
the evil that thou wilt do unto the children of Israel. Their strongholds wilt thou set on fire, and their young men wilt thou slay with the sword, and wilt dash their children and rip up their women with child. No wonder why Elisha is weeping. And Haziel hears this, and he says, But what, is thy servant a dog, that he should do this great thing? And Elisha answered, The Lord hath showed me that thou shalt be king over Syria. So who was right? Do you think Elisha was right who warned and prophesied of these horrors, these crimes? You might say war crimes. Real? That you, or, 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 or was Haziel right? I couldn't do that. Well, as we continue on, let's look at Haziel. We look at Haziel. We've seen him now here. Sometime in this point right here, Haziel has become king. About the same time as Jehu assassinates his lord. So Haziel becomes king of Syria. And there is trouble. Trouble, 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 trouble. Because actually right here in this time, Haziel is warring against Joram. Ahaziah of Judah comes up and joins Joram in comforting him. Do you know why? Because you wounded King Joram of Israel. You and your kingdom, when they were fighting at Ramoth Gilead over on the other side of the Jordan River, he actually wounded him. And the king of Israel came limping back to his summer palace, wounded. While, by the way, Jehu continued on fighting. And so there was this battle that was going on here, and, and it tells us that, that you won. A fulfillment of the prophecy, isn't it? But you know, he didn't finish. He, he, he did more than what he was supposed to do. Because if we then turn to 2 Kings chapter 10, and in verse 32, we read that in those days, and this is the days of Jehu, so he'd been fighting against Joram, and he really caused a lot of trouble for Joram, even wounding Joram. Jehu then finishes Joram off. But then during the days of Jehu, it tells us the Lord began to cut Israel short. And Haziel smote them in all the coasts of Israel from Jordan eastward. All the land of Gilead, the Gadites and the Reubenites and the Manassites, from Arnor, which is by the river of Arnon, even Gilead and Bashan. Now, if you know your geography, that means that all of the northern kingdom he subdued. He crushed them. He conquered it all from the Jordan eastward, that whole region over there. He crushed it. Modern-day Golan Heights, by the way. Still a debate with Syria, isn't it? Here he is. He's crushed them. Gilead and the Gadites and the Reubenites and the Manassites, all the region of Gilead and Baashan. Well, then we continue on. That was during the days of Jehu. And so we turn the page, and we come to chapter 12, and we see verse 17. And it tells us, Then Haziel, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. So not only now has he subdued the northern kingdom, he now has moved to one of the, he's moved all the way through Israel and Judah, and he's come to a city of the Philistines, Gath, way over on the side of the Mediterranean. And he's way over there, and he takes Gath. It says that he fought against Gath and took it. And Haziel set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And this is during the days of Joash. Down here, you remember Joash? During his days. And he sets his face to go there to Jerusalem. And he's going to crush Jerusalem. He's already subdued the northern kingdom. He's already subdued Philistia. And now he's wanting to take Jerusalem. He's becoming a Middle Eastern world power. 
But what happened there in Jerusalem? Well, verse 18, 2 Kings 12, 18, it says that Jehoash, that's Joash there in the blue on the bottom right, king of Judah, took all the hallowed things that Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah, his fathers, kings of Israel, had dedicated and his hallowed things and all the gold that was found in the treasures of the house of the Lord and in the king's house and sent it to Haziel, king of Syria. He literally took all of the treasures, all of the treasures in the royal palace and all of the treasures that were in the temple of Jehovah. Remember, this was the temple that he under the leadership of Jehoiada, had just rebuilt and established. Remember all that offering that would come in to do this and all the treasures that had been accumulated? That's all been accumulated. And within a very short time, he takes all of it and he pays this guy off, pays him to leave us. You know what? This doesn't seem to be the only time you did this. In fact, archaeologists have been excavating different places in Syria and they came across a whole bunch of ivory. And they came across a treasure bed. How many of you have ivory inlaid beds? I don't, but I think it would be cool. He had an ivory inlaid bed. And in fact, this comes right off of that bed. And it's an inscription that this bed was a gift to our Lord Haziel. He's collecting tribute. He's collecting treasures. He's collecting the foreign wealth of the nations around him. And in fact, here's this treasure, possibly a treasure from King Joash, given to appease him and get him to leave Jerusalem alone. So here we are. Haziel has taken Gilead, Bashan, that whole region on that side. He's come across, he's taking Gath. Perhaps his bed was from Gath. But then he comes to Jerusalem, but he doesn't conquer Jerusalem. He just basically puts them under tribute and spoils them and takes all of their wealth. And he goes back to Damascus. But is he done? Well, now we come to where we're at now in chapter 13. Chapter 13, and it says here that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he, that is God, delivered Israel into the hand of Haziel, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Haziel, all their days. Now look at verse 4. Is something going to change? It says that Jehoahaz, you see Jehoahaz up here, right? He was the son of Jehu, who was reigning over Israel. And he's being troubled by this guy. He's being troubled by this guy. And so it tells us that Jehoahaz besought the Lord. Notice capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D. That means this is the Hebrew word Jehovah. He besought Jehovah because of the trouble this man is calling, causing him. And look there in verse 4, it says, the Lord hearkened unto him. The Lord heard his beseeching, and he listened, and he did something about it. For it tells us, God, the Lord, saw the oppression of Israel because the king of Syria oppressed them. And the Lord gave Israel a savior. It's fascinating. We don't know who this savior is. There's no detail about it. What was the details of this? We don't know. So that they went out from under the hand of the Syrians. And the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before times. Well, what's that mean? Even though they had been delivered from under his hand, they still did not have their cities. Remember, he had come through and he had conquered all of their cities, burned them, just like Elisha had warned. The entire nation, even here when the Lord saves them from under his hand, do you see? They are dwelling in tents. How many of you live in a tent? Would you like to live in a tent? My kids want to set up a tent and want to sleep in a tent. Yeah, I don't think you want to live in a tent. But you know there are people all around the world who live in tents? Do you know why? Not because they want to. 
because guys like Haziel has come through and taken their homes or destroyed their homes, threatened their lives, and they have had to flee and live in tents. This description here of these who are dwelling in tents are describing two different groups of people. One is soldiers who are living in their tents, moving from place to place. And the other description is of refugees. The entire land of Israel has become a mass of refugees fleeing from one place to the next place to the next place to stay away from him. They're dwelling in tents so they can quickly flee and get away from Haziel. Right in the middle of all of this, there's, there's a continual trouble. All the days of Jehu, all the days of Jehoahaz, and if we move our timeline forward a little bit into the days of Joash. Now, don't confuse these two guys, Jehoash and Joash. They actually have the same name, and it's spelled the same way, both different ways, the same time, referring to both of them. Jehoash is referred to, it's, it's, it's just a different spelling, and both of them have both spellings, but they're two different guys. And the difference is whether or not one's of Israel and one is of Judah. And look, they even reigned at the same time. Really makes life complicated when you're trying to read things. And as I've suggested before, take your Bibles and you use, a, use one color of pen to underline one king, nation's king's name and another color for another nation's name has helped me. But here we see this. And now we've come to about the end of Elisha's time. And, 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 the, and the nation is a disaster. The nation has been impoverished by this guy. The nation's fortified cities have been burned by this guy. In fact... As we continue to read, as the narration continues on, there is a description given here of all this before time. And it describes Haziel as causing so much trouble that, um, that the land and the people, it says, is like the dust of the threshing floor. Does that give any pictures to you? The threshing floor is when they take in the grain with all the shaft with it, and they take it and, and they, they cast it up, and then they take it so that the wheat falls and they collect the wheat, but then the chaff floats away. This guy caused so much havoc and trouble, it made people not even feel like the worthless shaft, but just the little specks of dust that would float away. That's how he scattered them. He made them utterly helpless, utterly weak just like Elisha said. Oh. And right in the middle of all of this, right here, near the end of the time of Elisha, something happens. Jehoahaz dead. You see him? We talked about him. We don't, all we know about Jehoahaz is that he had trouble with this guy here. He besought the Lord, and the Lord gave them some deliverance, but it wasn't complete. And you might say, why wasn't it complete? Well, let's keep looking here in 2 Kings 13. For here it tells us that the Lord gave them a Savior so that they went out from under the hand of the Syrians and the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before time. Nevertheless, oh no, nevertheless, they departed not from the sins of the house of Jeroboam who made Israel to sin but walked therein, and there remained a grove also in Samaria. So, you've been oppressing them. Jehoahaz, the king of Israel, besought the Lord. The Lord gave them a Savior, delivered them out from under his hand, but they continued to serve the golden calves. <sighs> and there's continued a grove in Samaria. I have a question. When it says, nevertheless, they, in verse 6, does the they include Jehoahaz, the one who sought the Lord? Or does it refer to the people? Or does it refer to both? To be honest, I don't know. It's not clear. Was this beseeching of the Lord on the part of Jehoahaz just temporary? Or did Jehoahaz really, truly seek the Lord in his days? But yet the people 
continued in their wicked idolatry. At any case, he did not lead the people out of idolatry. But look how weak the nation became, verse 7. It tells us, neither did he, that's the Lord, leave of the people of Jehoahaz, but 50 horsemen. Now, if you were a great kingdom, would you think you had a great army if you only had 50 horsemen? I mean, we're talking about just a few generations when we had armies of half a million. We had horsemen and chariots that were in the tens of thousands. Fifty horsemen, not even a mention of chariots. Oh, I'm sorry, ten chariots. Ten. And 10,000 footmen. That's all. That is a very small army compared to the armies we have seen in just the previous generations. Why is this? For the king of Syria had destroyed them and had made them like the dust by threshing. He obliterated them. And now the rest of the acts of Jehoahaz and all that he did in his might, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? His day-to-day activities are in records lost to us. We do not have. And Jehoahaz slept with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. And Joash, his son, reigned in his stead. In the thirty and seventh year of Joash, king of Judah, became Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, to reign over Israel in Samaria and reigned 16 years. You see how names get confusing in that verse? You can take time when you get home. Color those up and mark them to keep them all straight. In fact, Joash is called Joash here of Israel and Jehoash in the same two verses next to each other. And so now Israel's got a new king. Jehoahaz has died, and now Jehoash, or Joash, has become king of Israel. Do you think he's going to follow the Lord? Blank looks. Nobody knows. Well, he doesn't have much of a lineage to follow. Look at verse 11. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. Again, Jeroboam's causing trouble, and he's been dead for how many years? Hundreds of years. But he walked therein. He now walks in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. But news comes to this new king. Sometime in his reign, we don't know how long he'd been king, that Elisha is sick. Elisha's the prophet of the Lord. I have Elisha over here. You see, he's been around for a long time, hasn't he? He's this old man. And he's dying. You can go sit there in your lazy boy at home, dying. And news comes to Joash, king of Israel. Elisha, he's on his deathbed. He's dying. And so Joash, the king of Israel, comes to Elisha. And by the way, this sickness of Elisha is the sickness that tells us whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept. And I wonder why. Why did Joash weep? He's a man who worships the golden calves that Jeroboam set up. Does he love the Lord? Does he love the Lord's prophets? Why? Why does he come and why does he weep? And listen, as he weeps, he cries out and he says to him, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof. That's an honor, <laughs> especially considering the fact that um, You've lost all your chariots and your horsemen. It was a term of honor, though, for Elisha, recognizing that he was a representative of God. 
And it's not the first time the phrase has been used for him. It was also used by Elisha of Elijah. And so here he comes to him and he cries out to him with these terms of honor and esteem. And then Elisha tells him to do something strange. Take bow and arrows. So he goes and he gets a bow and arrows. And he brings them, the king of Israel, to Elisha. And Elisha says to him, Put thine hand upon the bow. So he puts his hand upon the bow, and you know what Elisha does? He, he puts his hand upon it, and upon the king's hands. And then he says to him, Open the window eastward. So he goes and he does just that. He opens a window. And when he opens that window, Elisha said, Shoot! So he takes one of those arrows. Shoot! You might be thinking, no wonder why he lost against Jehoahaz. He shoots! Just as Elisha had said. And then listen to what Elisha says. The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek till thou have consumed them. Take the arrows. So he took them. Smite upon the ground. Thou shouldst have smitten five or six times. Then hast thou smitten Israel till thou hast consumed it. Whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. And Elisha died. The prophet is dead. What was going on here? Remember, this is the very prophet who prophesied that you would destroy Israel. He wept over it. And now on his deathbed, he tells the current king of Israel, you will smite him. But you see, Joash is kind of, hmm. You know what's going on here? It's not directly stated, but it is strongly implied. He doesn't believe it. He doesn't believe it. Kind of like you saw that error. I, I think the real Joash shot better than that. But, you know, he, he, kind of, he kind of feels like that, I think, in relation to Haziel. Am I going to get Haziel? And oh, by the way, it's not just Haziel anymore. Haziel now has a grown son who is acting like king named Ben-Hadad. There are two of them. <sighs> Will this happen? It's implied here by Elisha that Joash, Jehoash doesn't believe it. He's just Whatever. Smite the ground, one, two, three, whatever. Elisha says, calls for him to be intense and to have intensity, but he doesn't have it. Just do it. He says, you're not going to continue. It's only, you're going to only smite him three times. You're only going to smite him thrice. You've got to keep at it, but he won't, and he knows it. And so... 
Elisha is dead. And they buried him. We're going to bury your dad. I'm sorry, your, your, your Elisha prophet. <laughs> you want to just go over there and be dead? Well, imagine this is a tomb over here, a <laughs> dead man walking, getting in his own tomb. You have to imagine he's dying. All right. So they bury Elisha. Now, what's about to happen is very, very weird. And I need some volunteers. Who wants to be a volunteer? This is a really fun job. I, did I see William duck down behind the pew? Oh, this is a fun job. Micaiah did too. I think I ought to pick both of them. Come on, guys. Come on. Come on. Let's see. Who wants to help? You know what we're going to do? You see this guy here? You know who he is? He is, come on up here, buddy. This guy is a dead man. Be dead, be dead. What do we do with dead men? We bury them, right? We bury dead men. So you're going to bury this guy? Let's bury this guy. So here we are, and we're digging a hole, right? We're digging a hole to bury him. And, you know, we're people who live in Israel, and, and we always are on the lookout for this guy. He's trouble. But you know what? He's not our only enemy. We have the Moabites who also give us trouble. But one day here we are, we're going to dig a grave for this poor guy, and we're digging, and we're digging this hole, and all of a sudden we see a band of Moabites. Oh, we don't have time to finish digging this hole. And bury this poor guy. But hey, over there is Elisha's sepulcher. It's a tomb. We can't bury him, so let's just throw him in there. You grab his feet. Let's go. So they took this dead man and they threw him into the tomb of Elisha. And you know what happened? As soon as the dead man touched the bones of Elisha, he jumped up. You weren't supposed to stay down there. And he came back to life. Let's all run away from the Moabites. Now I have a question. This is a, this is a really fascinating account. Even Elisha's bones are, have power to resurrect. Elisha has raised people from the dead. And now even he's dead. And God is using him. Why do you think it's recorded, ever even recorded? And why do you think God did this? And why do you think it's recorded here? You know what? I'll bet you this story about you rising from the dead when you touched Elisha's bones. Boing. I'll bet you news of that spread real fast. I mean, imagine. Everybody knew. This poor guy here had died, and you went to his funeral, and they were getting lowering him. Oh, they were still digging the hole. I don't know how many people were at that funeral. But everybody, I'm sure, started talking about it. Here, the dead man alive. He goes, hey. Do you know one main significance of this and why I think it's recorded here? It's for you. For you to know that what Elisha has said is true. You see, God wanted to use you to do something very special. He wanted to use you to judge Haziel. I believe this miracle is done here as a sign of the truth of Elisha's words. But what will happen? Well, if we just continue right on here. You know, this narration, chapter 13, started off with Haziel, then it goes to this exchange here, and then it has this deathbed, and then it comes back to Haziel. Haziel's been there the whole time. Haziel's been causing trouble the whole time. Yes, the, the severe oppression for time was lifted, but it's never gone away. For it tells us after this was done that Haziel, king of Syria, oppressed Israel. Again, it reviews all the days of Jehoahaz. And it says the Lord was gracious unto them and had compassion on them and had respect unto them. That is the nation of Israel. Why? Why did God, was God gracious? Why did God have compassion and why did he have respect unto them? They were idolaters. They had turned their back on God. Why was he showing respect to them and graciousness and compassion? God says why. Because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and would not destroy them, neither cast them from his presence as yet. 
He's not going to destroy them because of the promise. But yet he did warn them that they might be cast from the land. But that's not going to happen yet. It's not going to happen in the days of Haziel. They're not going to be scattered across the earth, even though they've been scattered across their own land as refugees. And so here it tells us that Haziel, the king of Syria, died. Trouble solved, right? And Ben-Hadad, his son, reigned in his stead. And Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, took again out of the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Haziel, the cities which he had taken out of the hand of Jehoahaz, his father, by war. Three times did Joash beat him and recovered the cities of war. So Haziel's son comes into power. And you know what? You do do just as Elijah had said. You take the cities back and you smite. You smite him three times just as Elijah had said. And the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did and his might wherewith he fought against Amaziah, king of Judah. Uh, that's another guy you see him up there on the south side. You guys didn't get along very well. That's these guys always fighting. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Jehoash, he slept with his fathers. And Jeroboam sat upon his throne. And Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Joash, why did you name your son Jeroboam? Do you guys know, recognize the name Jeroboam, right? Jeroboam's the first king. He disappeared from this timeline. He's the first king up there who set up the golden calves that made Israel to sin. The very idols you worshipped. Did you name your son in honor of that Jeroboam? Oh, how very sad. But you know, there's something else going on in this time period. Relating to Haziel, turn with me over to the prophet Amos. The prophet Amos. We've seen the prophet Elisha. His words have been fulfilled, but Israel hasn't been crushed. I'm sorry, Syria hasn't been crushed. What shall happen? Well, in Amos chapter 1 and verse 1, we read this. The words of Amos, who was among the herdmen of Tekoa, when he, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Israel, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Here we see a prophet in this time, a little bit further on, who's going to give a prophecy of Several nations. But look at verse 3. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus. Damascus is the capital city of, of Syria. Damascus is Haziel's capital. And God says there are three transgressions I've got on them. And four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. He says Damascus has done something, four things that must be punished because they have threshed Gilead with threshing instruments of iron. Do you remember earlier it was described what he had done to the armies and to the people, what was prophesied of him and what he had done? He went far beyond what God had ordained him to do. Far beyond it. God had not anointed or had Elisha anoint Haziel to go and rip women up with children. But that's what he did. He cut down the land like you would cut down a field. Everything. All of it. All the way as if it were a threshing. And you know what God says? I will send a fire into the house of Haziel, which shall devour the palaces of Ben-Hadad, the son of the king, the king of Syria. God says that what he did, I will judge. 
This is very important for us to recognize because if we look and see all through all this account of history, we see at the beginning that God prophesied. What did he say to Elijah? And when he sent him to go, he told him that you're going to anoint him. And remember, he said, He that escapeth of the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Nobody even escaped the sword of, of, of Haziel. There's no record of Elisha ever having to do any executions of justice and righteousness in the land. Because this man, Haziel, went far beyond what he had been ordained to do. You see, God holds him responsible. Yes, God used Haziel to bring righteous judgment upon Israel, but Haziel went far beyond what God had appointed him to do bringing abuse and torture and misery in the land. And God's going to hold him accountable. And just to give you a little bit of the head story, heads up on the story, it happens. And indeed, Syria is crushed. There's a lot of prophecy going on here, and there's a lot of details. But in closing, I want to remind you of three things that we heard about today. It says that God had respect, compassion, and respect because of his character and promise. Today, have you experienced his compassion, his grace, and his respect? He has promised forgiveness for sin to all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. And he will have respect to that promise, the promise of everlasting life, if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive his grace and receive his compassion. Great God, we thank you for your word in this history. May we realize of how important our actions are. May we realize that you are righteous and just. And may we remember and know and believe and trust in this morning the fact that you are gracious, compassionate, and you're one who keeps your word. Lord Jesus, I pray that for anyone here who's not believed on you, received your life, that today they would. And that all of us who have would walk in your spirit, that we would trust in you and that we would follow you every single day. We praise you now in Christ's name. Amen.